0: I'm Abhisit and you're listening to Connected by MParticle, where we interview the people that help create some of the most beloved brands in the world. These folks have a unique ability to bring together seemingly unrelated people and technologies to deliver some truly amazing results. I know I've said this a million times, but seriously, thanks for uh, thanks for making time to do this.
1: Absolutely, brother. Absolutely, good to be here.
0: Before I get into some of the questions and and you know pick on you for for certain situations, um, you know, would love to just kind of understand you know who who Nick Warner is and share that with uh, with our listeners.
1: You got it. Um, my name is Nick Warner. I'm the head of growth for Route. Uh, I've been in the mobile app space for most of my career um going up nearly like 10 years in mobile apps specifically on the consumer side and i love growing companies so it's what i do
0: i know we've been working together for the last few years understatement of of the century but i wanted to to dive into that a little bit right because just looking at your career trajectory I mean, it it seems like from day one, right, you've, you've been at startups, and, you know, startup one led you to startup two, and startup two led you to startup three. Um, what about startups, like, or, or what drives you to startups? Like, what about startups appeal to you?
1: Yeah, so I would say that it really started when I was in college, and I went to college at San Diego State. Some call it the Harvard of the West, uh, but... <laughs> Uh, at San Diego State, there is a, an awesome entrepreneurial program, and it, it essentially operates like a scholarship, where if you get accepted into this program, um, you get the competencies, the mentorship, and all of the learnings of how to start your own business. And it's called the Leonard Lavin Entrepreneurial Program. And I was an art major at San Diego State and kind of didn't have my way uh, about me, and one of my buddies told me to apply. Um, I was one of maybe thousands of other kids who uh, applied for the program, the only art major, I can assure you, and I got in on a whim, and that program really exposed me to what entrepreneurship is and like what it means to start your own business and at getting traction and so you start reading zero to one and you know the lean startup and all these different books and I'm like all right this is this clicks man this is this is really uh this is really interesting um yeah. and my exposure to the work world uh at that age was very limited uh and so like this was this was definitely a realm where I felt I could uh, expand and you know explore my curiosities with and so um During that program uh, with some of my, uh, you know, some of my other students, we started some businesses, some had some successes, uh, some successes, some had failures, um, some gained traction, uh, some got a lot of views. It it was a really cool experience. And uh, when I was a senior, um, you know, this was during the time when mobile apps were sort of really taking off like Facebook was creating their mobile app, kind of that transition from web into mobile was taking place. And I knew that, you know, apps were going to be the next big thing. And so in San Diego, the startup community at the time was kind of interesting, uh, very dominated by medical and scientific companies. And uh, there weren't a lot of like true, like, hey, consumer focused companies uh, you know, you could see there now it's a little bit different. Um, so at a, uh, at a venture event, uh, a San Diego venture group that I was not invited to, but crashed <laughs> middle of the day and skipped class for, uh, I sat next to a gentleman who was working on a product, working on an app, just telling me about his idea and showed it to me. And it was, uh, all in the printal control space. And I was like, this is really interesting. Um, I was a late bloomer to the iPhone. I had a Blackberry for a long time, but I understood, you know, the impact and uh, the way that social media was kind of like impacting kids to some degree. And I was like, all right, this could be cool. This could be cool. And so I jumped on with that company as like the, I think the third official employee, there was like our CEO, a engineer and then me and we were in a closet and, um, that company eventually grew um, to, to a really good state. And along that way, I was exposed to, I was exposed to pretty much every adversity you might have when it comes to running a startup or starting your own business, um, raising capital, uh, doing the layoffs, hiring, raising more capital, you know, be going through product market fit and going through how to uh, like kickstart a marketing plan, how to build like the appropriate data platform. So, you know, what's working in your app and then really taking, um, you know, a bunch of unknowns and uh, turning the lights on and saying, okay, like, where are we in the marketplace? It's pretty cool. And I think that startups really give people who um, have inherent curiosity about their future and, you know, what is interesting them, um, and allows them to apply that in a very unique way. And so that's why I've continued to gravitate to the startup space. And, um, you know, maybe, may, maybe I, I will be here forever, but uh, I can't, I can't find a reason to leave. Yeah,
0: a couple of thoughts there. I think one, you know, to hear you say, hey, you, you got into this, you know, kind of amazing program, then to go you know, into and, and actually kind of put your money where your mouth is, go into a real startup, right? Not some series D 400 employee, uh, organization, but quite literally three and then kind of go through those failures. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't all pretty, uh, you know, success comes easily, but I think some of the failures too, and like accepting those and saying, Hey, I still want to do this and get back up and do it again is, um, super impressive.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I, I think we're, I'm not the only one who's have who's had this story. You know, I, I, I think that when, you know, some people who jump into a startup, maybe it's right after college, or, um, you know, maybe they've taken a year off, and they want to get into the workforce, they might have this expectation, okay, like this startup is going to become like the next big, you uni- unicorn, right? And, there's this dream that kind of like keeps you up at night. Like, you think that you're going to make out like, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. And that's obviously not a reality. Like, out of everybody who started a startup, like, how many companies are public currently out of the United States? And how many people are household names? Like, not any. even some of the smartest people that I've been exposed to in this industry, like, you know, don't have the marquee name uh, to them. So um, I think where I, I, I kind of just, it, it really changed my frame of reference was understanding that you know any opportunity or any situation that I'm in it is a foundation for learning. And if I compound my learning quicker and sort of like hack time by throwing myself in really horrible situations, then maybe I can become smarter uh, in ways that are meaningful Uh, To how businesses and startups and products operate. So that was kind of my philosophy. I don't know if it's uh, absolutely played out. (laughs) And it was pretty naive at times. But, uh, you know, I think so far, I've, I've been on a good track.
0: That's, that's awesome. And yeah, I think kind of segues into the next thought I had, right? I think now that we've kind of established, okay, this is, you know, this is where you've come from. I think one of the things that I wanted to share with the audience is you know a, a bit of learnings, right? It's like, hey, can can we steal some things from uh, from Nick Warner's book and uh, you know may, maybe apply it to uh, you know to our own own organizations um, on that point of learning. One of the things I wanted to ask you is um, from your experiences just working with startups, what are some of the most important things to prioritize when you know you don't necessarily have like all the resources, right? You don't have you know, a fully built out product team or 20 marketers on your team, or, you know, the budget to necessarily go and, 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 you know, buy whatever you want. Um, have you kind of thought about that? And like, do you have any guidance on, you know, from phases of a startup, right? Like what is, what are some of the, the, the key things that you try to to say, Hey, this is the, the most important stuff to get right in the beginning.
1: I, uh, I could probably answer that question for another 45 minutes. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I I was fortunate to be on a conversation with Andy Johns, who used to be the VP of product, uh, or I think maybe the GM of Wellfront, but he was one of the original sort of growth hackers at uh, Facebook. And a similar question, um, you know, was, I was asked to him on on this call. And he responded with, you need to have an absurdly detailed view of who your perfect customer is. And I think that statement's really, really powerful in a way, because it is the evolution of what product market fit is. And, you know, the concept of product market fit can be swayed a number of different ways. It can be swayed by how your CEO is perceiving your business, or how your CMO is, you know, articulating and spinning this banquet of, you know, how awesome the product is and how awesome the consumers are. But fundamentally, um, understanding product market fit is going to give you the signals on whether or not your business or your product is going to have a future. And so we utilize um, a number of different tools to measure product market fit. Um, there's, there's an article by uh, Raul Vora. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm browsing his last name correctly. He's the man, he, uh, CEO of Superhuman. He wrote an article on a first round review, uh, which is an amazing site, a lot, a lot of stuff there. Um, And it was breaking down, you know, how he turned his uh, product superhuman and like just had a lot of compounding growth by focusing on product market fit. And how you measure product market fit is pretty important. So there's a couple of questions that you can ask, like, how do you you feel if you could no longer use this product? And you break it down to very disappointed, disappointed, um, not disappointed, um and then another one depending on who you're showing to is like i wouldn't care um but if over 40% of your respondents say that they would be very disappointed if your product no longer existed then that is a good indicator that you are on track for product market fit and these types of these types of studies can happen during any point in time in your product's life cycle and your business's life cycle. In fact, we at Route we ran something at the very beginning of when we started with one of our single products. We've run it like three or four more times uh, since we've launched that product. We run rerun it for every individual feature. Like you can go on the granular level and just ensure that hey, like are we on track here? And that is a really good thing to have in mind because it helps ground you know, the confidence and the decision-making of the business ultimately into something that is concrete. Um, So then from there, going back to like the absurdly detailed view of like who your perfect customer is, you know, unpacking that a little bit, it's maybe getting into the realm of like, okay, we want to build personas of our customers. Not a lot of people have that competency of building like, hey, our customer's name is Ginny, and she lives in Wisconsin and she has a household income of X and X, you know, not a lot of people have the aptitude to go through that exercise. And, you know, from there, you can't really understand the feelings that your customers might have. You know, you can't really measure something that's so subjective. So you need to bridge that by having a good grasp on what types of value indicators lead to engagement in your product or on your website or, um, you know, on your service, like if you're going, so let's say you're launching a, uh, a you know, a, a brand of shoes on your website. Okay. Yep. And you have, you're driving a whole bunch of traffic, right. But people aren't, you are, are bouncing. People are, are clicking shop. Um, you've got st- Uh, six different videos showing how cool your shoe is and you've got one call to action to shop now like understanding okay are all of our users viewing these videos (laughs) and if they're not then they're probably not going to be hitting shop now so you kind of like shorten that a little bit by saying okay maybe there's just one video or one product shot is this an indicator that will lead to shop now and you know, sort of building that user journey according to the steps that are required in order for your customer to create like a value indicating action inside the product. And so something that, um, that we, we do for um, nearly every feature we launch at Route. Um, and what I've done for at nearly every company that I've been at is mapping out a, as clear as you can get the user journey of, of your product or a visitor to your site or a service like for service you have, you know, your value streams of, um, you know, sales cycle, you, you got your, your AEs, your SDRs, I'm probably yeah. messing that all up
0: yeah <laughs> no know. no that's uh, yes
1: oh all right i'm on that's I'm all on that play. man
0: you're you know you're in my <laughs> world a little bit now but yeah that's that's spot on oh
1: make i'm making somebody proud over there uh and so um you have those those value streams right and you're mapping okay what's our drop off here what's our drop off here what's our drop off here bam and there could be a moment of enlightenment and the same thing happens when you're valuing your product right like you have a splash screen, you have a sign up screen, you might have some action inside of the product that leads to another action, that leads to another action, that leads to, oh, everybody who does this action retains at like a 10% higher rate. So then you kind of get the framework of all right, if we start moving these pieces around, how can we create a really cool experience that is meaningful? And you evaluate that with some data. Um, and, and identifying those value indicators, um, I think with what a, what a lot of startups really struggle struggle with right out the gate is, um, and this is, is a, an exercise that I that I've gone through with with founders and and a couple of awesome projects that have had the benefit of like sharing some of my knowledge on, is that if you're working with a visionary product manager or visionary. CEO or visionary VP in in, in some degree, in their mind, they're going to have the absolute perfect view of what their product is going to be. And that will remain consistent nearly at every stage of your business's journey. And what's important is recognizing, okay, we don't have the resources (laughs) to create this absolutely perfect product where You know, we're uploading live videos and, you know, we've got we've got kids posting videos and we've got people sharing videos and we've got this messaging part of the product and we've got this feed of like all of this information and news and stuff like that. I'm talking a little bit like Facebook, Uh, (laughs) you know, Uh, but you don't really have like every single one of those features requires a lot of resources. So you have to be comfortable saying, okay, we've got to start somewhere. And at this point in our life cycle, the best strategy that we can lead with is saying no to things. You know, that's what, that's, everyone's very resistant in their early age to say no, because you want to do everything. But when you, when you do everything all at once, you end up creating product and creating features that are, might be lackluster, might be buggy, you know. You may have cut corners in an area that you didn't realize was super important to the customer experience. And um, you know, that creates frustration and toxicity and it starts things off on a really bad foot. So um, what, what I would take is uh, an exercise, like whether you have like a product journey, um, map that product journey out, then map out the most ideal product journey and then break it off into chunks and say, okay, what can we accomplish now? What can we create next? And that, that creates your roadmap. You know, you don't realize it, but you're building that roadmap in your head.
0: Um, you know, you're right in that I think we all, right, in, in all of our jobs and what we want to put out, like we have this kind of like ideal kind of version or thought of what this thing could be. Um, but oftentimes, right, like we don't actually go out and test those assumptions. Mm-hmm. And what you said there, I think is so important because you have to be visionary, right? You have to start somewhere and have an idea, but at the same time, you got to go out and test that idea and, and be very meticulous in your measurement of, you know, if you think this video is going to lead to a a particular action that you want a customer desire, or you maybe start thinking, Hey, this is my ideal customer. And when you start to give them surveys or, or, or reviews, um, you know, maybe you realize like, hey, what you originally thought when you started this journey isn't actually, um, you know, the data doesn't necessarily support that. And I think that maybe is what allows startups to quickly pivot and change and kind of make, get better at, I guess, placing those educated bets on what's going to succeed next.
1: Yep. I, and if I could abbreviate that, it is understand product market fit, you know, make sure that you have data inputs to evaluate your decisions and then plan according to your resources, you know? So there's a lot of stuff there.
0: Oh no, that's uh, that's awesome. Um, Okay, so I'm gonna, you know, I I think one of the other things I want to talk to you about too, because you've obviously created some really amazing experiences, products in your career. And I've seen that, right? I've had the pleasure of working with you for the last three years there's a lot of like, seemingly, and again, I, I don't think a lot of this is intuitive, maybe, uh, and potentially for some of the folks listening, that there's this like very interconnected, like layer of different people and, you know, even technologies and data um, that have to come together in like these unique ways to to drive these kinds of experiences. So yeah, I guess my question is, you know, can you speak a bit to like the importance of kind of how working with colleagues, partners, teams, kind of outside of maybe your own core team um, have helped you discover and drive, you know, a product or an experience or an outcome?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. Uh, great question. <laughs> great, <laughs> oh, thanks. Great question, man. Uh, um, I think in some ways uh, that is, having an, having an answer and an understanding of, of, of that situation can turn into an absolute superpower for you as like an individual contributor, as a manager, um, anything higher as a VP, even as, as, as a CEO, like you have to be able to, um, you know, branch out of your comfort zone in order to get shit done. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so I wait, can we curse on this podcast? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. we can do whatever we want. <laughs>
1: right. and so, um, so I will say, I'll, I'll give a little bit of an anecdote here. So I started as a, like, quote unquote, I think a uh, marketing manager was my title, but there's, there's three of us, I was a marketing manager, we had engineering, and we had like CEO. And, um, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing marketing wise. Like I, I I ran some ads on, on, on Facebook and done some search engine, uh, ads. Uh, and you know, my knowledge of the business was very limited. And when you are given a role, like, you know, whether it's marketing, whether it's product, whether it's, you know, and you're an engineer, you're working as an analyst, um, you're never going to have the full picture of the business unless you actually go out and seek it. And that full picture of the business is going to help you make better decisions in your role and hopefully help level you up at, during your duration at that company. So, what I did, and as we grew, you know, kind of like starting from that three of us eventually becoming like 20 people, mostly all engineers, is I recognized that we were developing some pretty intense technology. We were utilizing like a mobile device management technology back in 2013, 2014, which was not in the consumer space whatsoever. And I didn't know how it worked. It's plain and simple. I had no idea how it worked. And what I did is I grabbed like our head of architecture and sat him down in a room. I got him like lunch that day. And I was just like, dude, we are going to have a huge knowledge transfer with me. I need to know how this works. Because if I know how it works, then I know how to get the best customer to use this product. All right. And I need to know when they're using this product, how they're going to retain, what's going to trigger, where the aha moment is going to be. And sometimes it's not as simple as like you know signing up for a subscription for content. Sometimes it's yeah. very much like you gotta you gotta t- take this user by a journey that's not gonna be easy. And 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 getting users to onboard for this product, Abby, was not easy. Like they had <laughs> to get they had to get another device and you know install yeah. a profile on their child's device. We're in the role of parental management, so it, it was it was a lot um and and a journey that had a lot of friction but what that did is you know that that really allowed me to be comfortable with opening up these other lines of communication and and one thing and i guess like maybe maybe this is a mental model to some extent but it i am i i i have no hubris when it comes to being in a meeting or or talking in a room when I know that I am without a doubt, the dumbest person in that room. Like if you have, if you are surrounded by the smartest individuals, like try to absorb as much information from them when you can Always ask questions. Always, always try to understand their point of view. Start developing that competency of building empathy with your colleagues because you never know when you're going to lean on them for something. and where where it really pertains to you know growth and and um user acquisition or marketing is that you're if you're a marketer or you're in a position where you're marketing a product sometimes you're never going to be in control of what that product looks like or uh, or what that product does or how that product conveys value to the customer you might have opinions you're not going to be in control of it your voice might be big it might be low but you know you might not ever be in the in the room where those decisions are being made right. so what you need to do is you need to talk to those individuals of why those decisions were made right like you know why does the user have to do this why is that valuable and during those conversations you can pull out some awesome tidbits some of the best marketing copy or like the best uh, you know, value props have come from those discussions for me, you know, like hearing, hearing an engineer discuss the product of like, yeah, if the user does this, oh, guess what? Then they can do this. And that then they can do this turns into a bullet point on a slide deck that gets you to raise money from a VC. Like those are the best types of conversations to have. And I think that, um, You first, if you're not doing them, then that's totally fine. It could be easy as like getting coffee with somebody. Um, You know, it could be as easy as just asking a product manager, hey, can I sit in on your stand up? I want to know how you lead lead the team. You know, you you want to get a feel for how, you know, this area of the business operates. Very rarely are people going to say no, because it's like no sweat off their back. And if you ask them for advice, or you ask them to explain and educate you on this part of the product, people love being in a position where they talk knowledge, you know, like that's, it's great. Like, um, I think it's something about that human connection that, uh, that elevates, elevates you in a certain degree. And so if those relationships didn't exist, uh, I probably wouldn't have seen any success in my career. I would be in San Diego on the beach, probably serving drinks at a bar. You know, like yeah. I would have gone in a completely different direction if I didn't recognize that I needed to start getting this info because those those individuals like engineering, that architect that I talked about with you, finance, you yep. know, you know, DevOps, they become your best, you know, support when moments really matter or when you need to get something moved over to the finish line.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, what, what's interesting there, too, and it, there's a part of this you said, it's like some of your best ideas, you know, from, from say, maybe a marketing perspective, right, didn't necessarily come from you talking to other folks in marketing about the greatest idea. It came from, you know, maybe interacting with, with a product person or someone on the engineering team. Um, I don't know. The analogy I almost had when you were talking about this is like... Um, It's almost like knowing, like, you know, you're in this tool shed and, you know, maybe you have all these, but like, you don't know how to use, you know, use them and you don't know what combination of how you're going to use these tools to build something. But the more folks you talk to, the more like you understand, okay, like I can use, you know, this tool in this way, or I know the company works in this way. And because I know that, you know, actually it might not make sense to, you know, to build a campaign or build a journey, um. Or incorporate this, you know, part of a, a product in my roadmap, this actually works better.
1: Yep. Dude, exactly. Like in for the toolbox analogy, if you're told to like build a treehouse and you've got a screw that's a Phillips head in a toolbox, and you don't know what a Phillips head screwdriver or drill bit looks like. The only way to figure out if it's going to work is by trying to use other tools, right? Like, yeah. you've got to leverage, um, you know, what you have at your disposal.
0: Staying on this theme of connectivity for, for a, just one more question, you know, maybe could you share a story, you know, from a, from a connectivity of data and technology? Um, any cool stories about how you kind of combine tech and data in an interesting way to make something happen? Uh, you know, maybe for somebody, you know, a product manager, or kind of a, uh, a data-driven marketer listening to this podcast.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I absolutely, my, the company before, uh, route fair, it was a car subscription company. I'll use this one as an example. Uh, we were driving user acquisition through paid media, uh, as pretty much anyone in the automotive space does, uh. And we were, we were getting really, really good at it. Really good at driving like top of the funnel user acquisition. Um, And part of, you know, the, the business and user journey of, you know, being a car subscription, you have to pick out a car, right? You have to find a customer who's getting bombarded with all these different options, getting decision fatigue from looking at Subaru, Toyota, you know, Nissans or Bentleys, like everything, like there's, there's so many options on the table and you got to break through that noise in order to get that user at the right moment with the right product in order to make them create that purchase. That is why automotive is so difficult to, to really win. And uh, when it comes to performance marketing, you see a lot of brand stuff because, you know, it's not always attributed. And so um, what we were, what we had is, we had like a really robust user base, and um, we had a lot. Of, we, were, we were scaling subscribers, and we really wanted to capitalize on, you know, the existing users and try to catch those users who are in the, you know, warm decision phase of leaning towards a vehicle inside the app, and get them into a, a an experience that could drive, a, you know, a subscription. And the easiest way of us being ha- having that control is was through paid media. So um, we had this awesome recommendation engine at Fair that was built from some of the smartest people I've ever been around. Uh, that you know, based off of the a, a one or two cars you would browse during your first session, would eventually you know learn to say, hey. Here's, here's this Toyota Camry or here's this Honda Pilot, stuff like that in a really short amount of time. And this engine uh, basically like took our, our product catalog and, and turned it on its head and it was super cool, really efficient. And we wanted to find a way of, all right, how do we take this proprietary, uh, you know, ML model that we've created and our internal catalog and utilize these to create like a really awesome re-engagement experience on, you know, Facebook and, and Instagram. And uh, you have these three major pillars here that don't talk to each other by any stretch of the imagination and don't talk to each other in a really cool way. Um, and so what we, what we were able to do and like, Abby, I'm going to give you a shout out. You helped me out tremendously on this is, um, you know, we saw that there was a major opportunity here to leverage this data for paid media. And we just had to find a way of putting it into a format that Facebook could digest and could be layered with our targeting. And so what we did, um, we built a, um, a, a, a new attributes model for our customers that would um, be supported by our recommendation engine so that we could Re-engage customers with cars um, that they hadn't already seen, but aligned with their in-app interests in Facebook and in Instagram, and get them directly into the app again uh, to subscribe and eventually purchase that product. And it it was awesome. Like our that that monolith of a project uh, allowed us to lower our CAC cost per acquisition costs tremendously because we were able to capitalize on our existing users in a way that we had never capitalized on them before. Now, I don't know if that mechanism can exist in this world today with, you know, some of the changes that have been going on uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, user information and, and what you're able to like lean on, but it was a really awesome project and allowed us to like have a wide range of creativity.
0: To me, it's always fascinating, you know, to, to work with folks like yourself, right? And in this particular case, I had the the privilege of kind of working hand in hand with you. Um, look, the, the data is out there, right? I mean, there is information, um, you know, potentially locked up or, or being used for, you know, a singular purpose. Um, but when you kind of came to me with this idea, right, you said, hey, well, you know, we kind of have all this data over here, right? And if we can leverage it in the right way and just get it to, you know, some of these other systems that kind of traditionally don't speak to each other, right? There's something that me that like, I hadn't seen anyone do like combine, um, you know, inventory information in that way. And the fact that it kind of resulted in such a, uh, you know, spectacular result at the time was, um, was awesome. But I think it started with the uh, know with you sitting down looking at the data looking at the systems that uh you know you potentially have to optimize and and putting all that together
1: yeah i i mean it wasn't perfect (laughs) right out the gate you know we would have ads that you know all you saw was a background image you didn't see a car it was it was beat but you know as as uh as we started to recognize okay these are the attribute models we need in order to create, you know, this specific sort of retargeting at it, it started working out really, really well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Um, Nick, I, uh, you know, realize again, I, I can't thank you enough for your time here, but um, you know, for a minute, if you'll indulge me before I let you go, I, I'm going to yeah. ask you to take off, you know, Nick, the, you know, the entrepreneur and, and, you know, kind of, growth product hacker extraordinaire uh I, w- I want you to take that hot hat off like what's one of your favorite brands or experiences as a consumer uh and why um and then i'll follow that up i, I wanted to get your take on a I-, I got a couple hot takes that i wanted your uh, your answer on
1: yeah so um one of my favorite brands um uh, you know that's a really difficult question for me to answer. <laughs> it is, it is, man. I think that we're, we're in this time right now where, uh, and I think it's, you know, this uh, direct-to-consumer sort of wave that, that catapulted over the last five years is that you as a customer have like such a crazy expectation when you're purchasing from a company. Like you have the expectation that, you know, this is going to be a world-class product, a world-class experience. I think in the world of, and, and that's like, you know, hard retail e-commerce in the world of mobile apps, you know, what I, what I love, uh, is, um, you know, I, I'm actually kind of going to go off the reservation here. Uh, okay. My. One experience and product that I love right now, and maybe it's because you know I've, I've got that crypto bug, is uh, it's a, it's an app called Voyager, um, they and it, it's kind of like a competitor to Coinbase, uh, and there's something really unique about their experience, in my opinion, um, when you when you're going in the financial sector, and I've had to like you you know I'm one of those people who's inherently curious about new products, and you know. Go, like I go through the onboarding of dating apps for no reason with like random, <laughs> random, uh, you know, y- y- you know, personas just so I can see how the onboarding is evolving. And then I'll do the same onboarding with like, you know, Credit card, and I'll do Bank of America and I just yep. want to go through these onboarding experiences and like, you know, seeing like, okay, how are things changing and what are they trying to get the users to do and what does it mean to them? And, you know, through that experience, you start to like get exposed to like, okay, this is very frictionless and they made it so easy, you know? Mm. And with something that is rather difficult to grasp, um, you know, like uh, cryptocurrencies for somebody who doesn't, who's not familiar with anything in the crypto space, you know, there's a couple of ways to go about it. Um, There's one way where it's like, you know, you're hand-holding them and you're really providing a tremendous amount of education and you're trying to get them to understand what Bitcoin and Ethereum are. And, and like, I would through, do through one of these experiences with my dad and like, bless his heart, man. I'm like, you, you know, it's a lot to grasp if this is a very new thing that you're jumping into. And what Voyager has done as an app is they've made that experience mm. very simple, like no noise, Super easy, very direct, like, you know, almost dumbed it down to a point where it's almost impossible to get lost and like not know what it's like to place a transaction on a Bitcoin or Ethereum or any sort of cryptocurrency um, in their marketplace. I feel like that's really interesting to me um, because it's an industry that is very complicated, is getting a lot of buzz and getting a lot of traction at this point in time. So many people are coming in absolutely blind and making bad decisions. And they're, they found a way to like sort of curb the bad decisions uh, while also providing a really delightful customer experience. Um, and they did that by making it simple. And uh, I, I think that's pretty cool. It's a, it's a cool product that, that I'm into right now.
0: Love that, man. And, and, you know, again, spoken like a true, uh, true professional. That's, that's so funny that you actually go through like the app experiences and sign up flows just to see what people are doing. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it goes to show, man. I mean, this is why you're on top of the game. Right. But uh, shout out to Voyager. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something I'll I'll uh, I'll take a look at. Um, all right. This is the fun part. Hot takes. Right. Uh, yeah, totally unscripted um okay so i got a, i got a, a few rapid fire questions for you most of them are kind of true or false or yes or no type questions
1: okay uh,
0: So let's uh yeah you know, and listen I, I don't know this about you i, I cool. feel like i have to know uh um, cool. all right pineapple on pizza
1: oh absolutely not okay
0: all right <laughs> absolutely
1: all right. We, not
0: we can keep talking then this was this is a relief um is you know, this I, <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right. For sure. Okay, cool. Uh, Winter or summer sports? Uh,
1: Summer. Summer. I don't like the cold.
0: Awesome. All right. You know, true SoCal guy. Um, yeah. LeBron or MJ?
1: Oh, MJ, man. LeBron's a diva. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, man, come on. I thought, you know, I don't know. I thought it would be tough for you given, you know, LeBron's, uh, you know,
1: LA guy now. Oh man, I've uh I've been to games at the Staples Center and have booed that man to his face. <laughs> okay.
0: Love that. Love that. Um all right, I got two more for you. Froyo or ice cream? Oh ice
1: cream, man. Uh you know, there's something about going and getting ice cream and eating ice cream that's just awesome. I mean, there's I, there's nothing, no knock on froyo, but you know, you have a lot of range when it comes to ice cream flavors that, you know, can really hit the spot.
0: Love that. Yeah. You know, again, I I forced you into a choice there. So, uh, you know, Froyo is good too. I guess the right answer is both, but, (laughs) uh, okay. And then the final one for you, just because I am a voracious eater and a huge foodie, um, favorite restaurant in SoCal
1: favorite restaurant in socal oh man there is uh there's a there's a restaurant that's in san diego that is really just near and dear to my heart it's called sea level um it's like owned by a group and uh you sit down there you're overlooking like the uh the San Diego like sort of like bay like Coronado Bridge, downtown San Diego and the harbor and it's just beautiful. Like one of one of the best, you know, great food, great ambiance and would always, you know, take anybody who was visiting San Diego there. Sea
0: level. So good. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Nick, thank you for being first, you know, episode 1 launching this podcast with me. Um and again, I think these are, you know, there's so much here and so many amazing insights, um, you know, yeah, really can can thank you enough for making the time. Um, thank
1: you. For, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm uh, very honored.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this conversation from Connected by Empartable. For more on this episode, you can check out the show notes and transcript on our blog, You can also subscribe to the podcast on any major podcast player. If building great customer experiences is important to you, sign up for our monthly newsletter, which includes a very short list of the best blog articles, use cases, and industry reads from throughout the month. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.